This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Last week, we took a hiatus from our series with Joel Richardson to celebrate Passover, but we've saved the best for last. Tonight, you will learn exactly how Yeshua returns. It's the second coming like you've never heard before, straight from the book of Isaiah. Joel Richardson joins us for the final episode of Highway in the Desert tonight, because it's the end of the sixth day. The sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. It is the final episode tonight of Highway in the Desert with Joel Richardson. But before we get to that, uh, please welcome my co-host, the Chief Operating Officer of Arud Awakening International, Ted Clayton. Well, thank you for having me here, Scott, and Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Indeed. Now, last week we took a hiatus because we did Passover. Wow, did a lot of people show up. <laughs> it was overwhelming, Scott. It was overwhelming. And right now, I'd like to say a big thank you to all the people uh, that joined us for Passover 2021. It was a spectacular success. We had over 3,700 uh, I would say people, but it's actual computers, mm -hmm. uh, signed up to watch Passover 2021, Let My People Go. It was amazing. We had great, uh, great uh, conversations with Nehemia Gordon, uh, Keith Johnson, uh, Tim Mahoney, Mary Nell Wyatt, and of course, that spectacular debut of the Chronological Gospel Season 3, Scott. Right, and Michael was at home watching it as well, and yes, he, he was. was in tears of how beautifully it was done. So, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Uh, you're not the only one that thought it was spectacular. Michael did too. So. Absolutely right. And of course, uh, the, bi the big event at the end of the day, or the end of the evening, I should say, uh, Michael Sater. That was such a blessing. Even people uh, who were there uh, at that particular Seder said they got something out of this Seder that they, that they never even realized once they saw it again. And it was just such a blessing. And once again, we want to thank Michael and, and Anna Lil for having such a great Seder uh, that time and allowing us to share it again with, uh, with the audience uh, for Passover 2021. And as important as Passover is to this ministry, there's something coming up uh, this Sunday, which is even more important, yes. and that is the Day of First Fruits. Now, this is where uh, historically people would uh, get the first fruits of the barley harvest and they would, uh, they would basically donate it to the temple yes. without knowing they're gonna get anything else throughout the year out of their crops. I'm gonna read yes. a little bit more about that in a second yeah. here, but uh, Ted, this is where we really depend on folks for a first fruit offering to keep this yes, ministry going. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael needs you now more than ever uh, to be a part of this first fruits offering this year. We have got such huge plans uh, that we'd like to bring you this year uh, with, of course, the Chronological Gospel Season 3. Uh, we're in negotiations right now with broadcast television to get the best rates possible to be able to put that on the air. But ladies and gentlemen, we just can't do that without you. If Michael were here right now, he would say, it's time to step up, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to really support this ministry in ways that you haven't been able to support before, and that's with your sacrificial giving. And ladies and gentlemen, right now, I wanna say how much I thank you, and I know Michael and Anna Lil thank you as well for that giving, because it's so important, especially in this time of year. But Scott, you have a real significance out of the Chronological Gospels that kind of really explains the uh, first fruits. It does, and Michael's got a great explanation here. You know, that's the beautiful thing about the uh, the Chronological Gospels, is Michael explains these things. Uh, you know. In, in between the verses to basically give a background of what's what's happening here, almost like reading a movie yeah. script. And this here's what's here's what's happening in the background type right. of thing. Right. And so uh, he explains what first fruits is. And I'd like to read this for you. If you have a chronological gospels, it's on page two sixty one, and he says the resurrection of the saints is part of the fulfillment of the fulfill, uh, the prophetic shadow pictures embedded in Yom Habikarim, which is translated to be the day of first fruits. Yes. After the fir uh, Passover lambs were put in the oven at Passover. 
the Kohen Gadol, basically the high priest, was in his and his entourage went over the Kidron Valley Bridge to the barley field on the side of the Mount of Olives, opposite the Temple Mount. They bound together 10 standing shocks of Aviv barley, one omer each. Now, this is where, why we count the, the omer, omer. That's exactly uh, right. And returned to the temple. There, the Kohen Gadol, high priest, remained in seclusion until the first fruits were harvested, processed, and presented in the temple the following morning. So he wouldn't see anybody, wouldn't let anybody else touch him. Ha, huh. you know where I'm going with this. Okay, mm-hmm. so the harvest of the first fruits was done in the failing light after sunset on the day of the weekly Sabbath during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this is when the saints were in the, in the graves, arose uh, in the sight of thousands who were participating in the harvest of uh, Yom HaBigarim. The, har- the barley was parched, ground, and baked during the night to prepare it for the first fruits offering in the morning. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, was in seclusion in the Temple Mount until after the first fruits were presented. Likewise, Yeshua allowed no one to touch him after he rose until the first fruits of the saints were presented before the throne in heaven by him personally as the eternal high priest, the Kohen Gadol. It is not until after this fulfillment of the Bikurim that the 24 elders are seen before in the throne in heaven. And that's the story where we see Mary coming up to him in the garden. He goes, don't, yeah, don't touch, touch me. me. Because mm-hmm. that was in between time. That's before this happened. And then afterward, everyone who saw him the second time hugged his feet, saw him. Yes. Then he allowed people to see him. That's why, because he was fulfilling that role as the high priest at the exact same time it was happening with the earthly priesthood. Exactly. So, so Scott, basically, what you're saying is the people of the time of Yeshua were giving their best and their all. Yes. And that's kind of what Michael attributes now. It's time to give your best and to give your all and to give that unto the Almighty, basically. Because to be quite honest with you, you're not giving it to a rude awakening. A rude awakening is going to take those funds and use it for the work of the Almighty. We're just the managers of it. We're just the managers of it. That's exactly right, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I know if Michael were sitting here right now, he would say, now is the time. Pray prayerfully consider giving your best right now. And we would pray that that best would be given to a Rude Awakening International right now to help Michael take the gospel to all the all the world. Indeed. And that, again, that is uh, for your first fruits offering is a Friday, uh, or pardon me, today's Friday. Today's Friday. Sun, Sunday. Sunday. <laughs> Two days from now is yeah. the day of first fruits. Yes. And that is uh, typically when uh, folks decide to do that type of thing. So again, thank you in advance for that. All right, Ted. Well, we have a love gift here that we'd like to talk about, but yeah. I think the best way to do that is just to watch the commercial watch that's the coming commercial up. Watch right? the commercial afterwards. <laughs> okay. That's right. Yeah. So we have a brand new love gift. It's April. It's all sitting here. We'll let the, the commercial do the details. Okay, so here we go. So tonight is going to be the final episode of Joel Richardson, Highway in the Desert. Amazing stuff coming up in just a second, but stay tuned for the love gift. Here is what we are talking about right now. In the 1980s, Ron Wyatt claimed to have found the Ark of the Covenant. Today, sophisticated gold detection equipment is suggesting his claim is true. So now it's spinning when it's it's moving left and right, scanning, and it's pointing to the cross hole, which the Ark of the Covenant would be below that. So it's underneath that area right there. So the Ark is below. Finding God's Gold with special guest Kevin Fisher reveals amazing video that connects Golgotha to the Ark of the Covenant. But the only way to watch it is to receive it as our gift. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you Finding God's Gold with Kevin Fisher on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you Finding God's Gold plus a one-of-a-kind yard flag featuring the name of Yehovah in Hebrew, scanned directly from the Aleppo Codex. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you Finding God's Gold with Kevin Fisher, the Name of God yard flag, and a silver-plated serving set, perfect for adding some set-apart elegance to make the Sabbath extra special. These gifts are available only in April, and supplies are limited. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Remember, this offer ends April 30th and supplies are limited. 
Call now to receive your gifts. 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world, putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when He did it, and why. The timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes. The larger print edition features 40% larger type, and every page appears exactly the same as the original, so you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition also has wider margins to write notes, and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the Larger Print Edition lies flat, so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book, measuring a full 12 inches tall and 9 inches wide. Study the Bible with clarity and ease. I love the size of this book. This is 9 by 12. The paper is, is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up, and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version, and I can just stand back and I can teach from it, and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the Chronological Gospels larger print edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887 or get the Chronological Gospels Bible Larger Print Edition online at arudawakening.tv slash large. On Friday, the sixth day of the week, the markets in Jerusalem are filled with challah that is done differently than it is any other day of the week. On that day, the challah is covered with honey and it is covered with raisins because it is a shadow picture of when the Messiah reigns upon the earth in the Sabbath day or the Sabbath millennium when life on earth will be sweet. Yeshua, the last night that he had with his disciples before his crucifixion, he took bread and he blessed the Most High and he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech olam Homotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so the sanctification of the Sabbath, the Kiddush that we do, sets apart this day and sets apart this very thing that we had rehearsed from the time that Yeshua gave this to his disciples. And then Yeshua blessed the Most High with this blessing that Melech Zadik said to Abraham when he blessed the Most High. Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu Malach HaOlam Berei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant paid for in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. With that, we do exhibit the Lord's death and what he paid for our redemption until he comes. does Yeshua come back? Well, that's a good question, and there's several clues in the Bible. I think if you ask the average Christian, where would you find such information? They would say, well, Revelation, of course. That's where everything comes together. You might find a few clues in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, maybe an odd reference in, uh, in Acts somewhere, and maybe Paul alludes to it somewhere in his letters. Well, those are all New Testament 
findings. Well, is there anything about this in the Old Testament? Well, don't be ridiculous. It's about Yeshua coming back. What did they know about Yeshua or even him coming back in the Old Testament? Maybe a little more than you think. Joel Richardson, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. We're gonna talk about this very thing today. Uh, before the cameras came on, you told me something very surprising that I didn't realize is that everything uh, about Yeshua's return can pretty much be found in the Old Testament, and that you rarely go to the to Revelation to find clues of how he will come back and how it will progress. So uh, where do you find these things? How, how do you come up with this? Yeah, and this is probably pretty shocking for a lot of Christians because you'll often hear Christians say like, um, well, but does the New Testament state this outright? And I go, why does it have to? You know, mm. for Jesus and the apostles, if something was already clearly stated in their Bible, they didn't always see the need to reiterate and restate and elaborate on something that was already well established. And the reality is the coming of the Messiah in all of its glorious technicolor detail, it's all there in the Old Testament. And so the book of Revelation, yes, it reiterates. Um, the New Testament does reiterate and uh, elaborate upon what's already stated in the Old Testament. Mm. But the irony is that many of these Old Testament references have been forgotten or ignored completely. You know, I, I find something, one of the most amazing things I ever heard somebody say, and most Christians would consider this blasphemy, but I think it's brilliant, is that the New Testament is commentary on the Old Testament. Yeah. Because that's where they're getting everything from. Because if they get it from somewhere else, then it's not inspired word of Yehovah. It's, it's just something they made up and pie in the sky. Yeah, absolutely. No, everything, the foundation is Moses, is Torah. The prophets are just pointing back and elaborating and expounding upon Torah. And then the New Testament is just expounding upon everything that came before that as well. Yeah, it's not blasphemous. It's, it's, it's actually basic common sense. Mm. Now, this common sense leads me to something that you have called Highway, the highway in the desert. And this is the how Yeshua comes back. Because sometimes when we look in Revelation, it look, just looks like he comes back in the cloud. And I think you mentioned last week that it looks like this puffy white cloud in a blue sky. And that's, what, that's the weird kind of image that we get. But that's not it. There is a definite progression to this. There is methodical strategy to this. And it starts in Isaiah. Is that right? Well, I mean, it, it starts, again, all the way back in Deuteronomy 33 mm -hmm. in Torah. Um, but as we said, the prophets elaborate and expand upon what has already been defined. So Isaiah, for example, he talks quite a few times about this highway in the desert. And actually, let me give you, a, a, again, an interpretive principle, a hermeneutical principle that the New Testament uses, okay, for New Testament theology guys. Whenever the writers of the New Testament look back to an Old Testament prophecy or text, and they see the Lord, Yehovah, God, coming from heaven in anthropomorphic form, again, in the form of a man, in the form of a human, coming back to save his people. Consistently, every single time, they interpret that as referring to the return of Jesus. Mm. That's an important point. Okay, so one of the primary ways that Yehovah is, is described is as the divine warrior. Again, he's the cloud rider, he's the desert marcher, he is the divine warrior. So Isaiah elaborates on this pretty extensively. One of the main chapters, one of the foundational chapters where this starts is Isaiah 35. And uh, I'm actually gonna read part of it because okay. this, is, this is fun stuff. I mean, this is not fun stuff, it's invigorating. Like this thrills my soul. So Isaiah 35, the wilderness. When we say wilderness, think desert. Okay, the wilderness in the Bible is the lonely, desolate place. The wilderness will, and the desert will be glad. The arava will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely. So that which is dry and destitute, it flourishes, it blossoms, it comes to life. And rejoicing, uh, and rejoice and rejoicing, and shouts of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, now get this, they will see the glory of the Lord. Mm. What does Jesus say when he refers to his return? Then the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. In Matthew 25, he says, then the Son of Man will come in his own glory and all of his holy ones with him. They will see with their eyes the glory of the Lord and then uh, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble, say to those with anxious heart. How many people watching have anxious hearts? Say to those with anxious hearts, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come. Mm. 
Deuteronomy 33, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come, but he will save you. Hmm. Okay, so there's all of the imagery of God coming to save Israel. Deuteronomy 33 with those two things. Punishment for the wicked, rewards for the righteous. Deliverance for the faithful, punishment, recompense for, uh, for the enemies of God. And it goes on, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer. Now, much of this was partially fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus, right? The lame were healed, you know, mm-hmm. the, the sick were healed, but, and, and people are healed today, okay? But ultimately, there are many people who don't get healed today. Ultimately, everyone in Messiah will be healed on that day. Mm-hmm. In the resurrection, has healing been paid for in the atonement, in the cross? Absolutely. When do we inherit it? Sometimes now. Ultimately, at the day of the Lord, at the resurrection. So as, as amazing as Yeshua's earthly ministry was, where he went around, it's almost like that, that was one by one. He didn't heal masses. He healed this person, that person, that person. Almost like just a taste, like an appetizer of what he could actually do. Yeah. Almost like, you guys get ready, because when I come back, you're going to see this in mass form. Yep. Absolutely. And today we pray for the sick and sometimes the Lord heals the sick. But even that, even revival today, we cry out for revival. Lord, send revival. Even revival is only a faint glimpse of what we're ultimately waiting and yearning and longing for, Mm. which is the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, the renewal of all things of which all the prophets have spoken. So yes, it's a taste and it's pointing forward. It's pointing forward. It's almost like what Paul said, seeing dimly versus seeing clearly. And we shall see fully. Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. All right, so this, this highway through the desert, uh, like you said, starts in, in Deuteronomy, of course, so that, that's the foundation of 33. And then uh, you read to us some of what's in uh, Isaiah 35, and then it kind of progresses through the book of Isaiah uh, with more and more detail. Uh, where do we head next here? Okay, so I'm gonna read a little bit from Isaiah 40, same okay. theme. Comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says the Lord. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended. When does her warfare come to an end? When her Savior returns, mm. right? Her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, the time of her chastisement is over. A voice of one calling in the desert. Um, make a smooth desert, a, uh, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. We go, well, wasn't that fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist when he turned the hearts of the people partially? Okay. Mm-hmm. But its ultimate calling here is this voice is saying, prepare a way for Yehovah in the desert. Let every valley be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become plain. Then, here it is again, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it together. Consistently throughout the New Testament, when Jesus returns, it says, and then every eye will see him, right? Quoting Zechariah. We will see him with our eyeballs. He comes, he goes, Jesus goes, look, don't pay attention to anybody that says the kingdom of God is just coming mystically. It's gonna be like the lightning breaking forth across the heaven. It's gonna be unmistakable. It's gonna be in your face, right in your midst. Your eyes will see it, right? It's not gonna be something that just comes secretly. Um, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And it goes on. Okay, now here's, a, here's one. I'm gonna skip forward to Isaiah 42. Okay. I love this. Um, let's see, is it? Verse 13. This is one of my favorite verses. Then Yehovah. Now remember what I said. The New Testament interprets Old Testament texts that portray Yehovah in anthropomorphic form coming back from heaven to save his people. Mm-hmm. as referring to the return of Jesus. Okay. Then Yehovah will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a war cry. Yes, he will raise a shout. Mm. Okay, it's just little snippets like this, little snapshots of Jesus as the divine warrior. Again, I joked in an earlier program, I said most Christians think he's some surfer from California, some <laughs> Caucasian hippie coming back. <laughs> Yes, he is the gentle shepherd that leads us beside the still waters, but he is the divine warrior that comes back to save his people. And it is a very bloody affair when he returns. In fact, Isaiah 63 is probably one of the most amazing desert prophecies in all of Isaiah. And it's one of the prophecies that a lot of people miss, quite frankly, or they don't, they don't even want to acknowledge that it's talking about Jesus because it's so graphic. Hmm. Well, what does it say? Let's, All right, let's get here we into go. this. 
So now notice, you'll notice some key themes. Who is this coming up from Edom? The Lord will come forth from Edom, from Seir, from Paran, from Basra, from that area. From the I, south, as we talked about last episode. Isaiah is essentially in Jerusalem. He's looking forward. He says, who is this coming up from Edom? With his garments, radiant, glowing colors. He's coming from Basra. This one who is majestic in his apparel, marching forward in the greatness of his strength. And he responds. He says, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah says, well, wait a minute. Why are your garments all red? Like someone who's been treading the wine press, stomping grapes all day. He says, I have trod in the wine press alone. From the nations, no one was with me. And this is not to say that he's all alone. It's to say that in the same way that he alone affected atonement, Isaiah 53, he alone will tread the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty. He alone will accomplish victory. He and his armies. This is not Jesus and the IDF. It's not Jesus and the U.S. military. He alone will affect salvation. And then he says, I trod them in my anger. I trampled them in my wrath. Their blood spattered all of my garments and I stained all of my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of my redemption has come. Mm. So this is, where do we get the picture in Revelation of Jesus' robe soaked in blood? It comes from Isaiah 63. Who is the one that treads the wine, the, the wrath of the winepress of wrath, treads the winepress of the wrath of God Almighty? It is Yeshua. The New Testament makes that very clear. Isaiah is talking about Yeshua. Isaiah 63, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 35. This theme permeates the Old Testament. Hmm. It's not unlike his birth. You know, we found, you know, people say, oh, it's obvious his birth is in here. It's there, it's there, it's all over the place. Again, little snippets that led up to what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's, why would we think that his second coming would be any different? Of course we're going to find little snippets. Of course we have to go and follow the the breadcrumb trail to find uh, the the highway in the desert, as you call it, uh, to find him. That just makes too much sense to ignore, and it, (laughs) it baffles me why we've ignored it to this point. Amazing. Okay, so that that takes us all the way through uh, Isaiah. Um, Now, there's also some other mention uh, in a book that I think a lot of people have never read or often skip over, and you say it's one of the most important ones, and that is Habakkuk. Yeah. Uh, And there's something in Habakkuk 3 that you wanted to bring out. Is that right? Yeah, so let's touch on Habakkuk. Um, This is an amazing prophecy. Now, again, both Deuteronomy 33 and Judges 5 both say God came from Teman. He came from Mount Paran. He came from Seir with shining forth from that region. Well, likewise, Habakkuk 3, um, beginning in verse 3, God comes from Teman. Now, notice here it says comes, like ongoing, because it's the Hebrew prophetic uh, perfect tense. Um, we could just as easily say God will come from Teman. Again, that's the south, the same region. The Holy One from Mount Paran. He's repeating the statements made in Deuteronomy 33. His splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of his praise. There it is again, the splendor, the radiant light of his coming. His radiance is like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hands. Mm. Notice that's back from Deuteronomy 33 where lightning is coming out of his hands where uh, his power is hidden. It's as though in the incarnation, in the glory of God in this, he is the divine God-man, fully God, fully man. It's as though the radiance and the glory of God can't be contained behind the veil of his flesh and it's breaking forward and shining, uh, radiating out of his hands. And then before him goes pestilence. Plague comes after him. Prominent Exodus themes, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He stood, he surveyed the earth, he looked, the, the uh, startled the nations, the Gentiles, the perpetual mountains were shattered, the ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwelling curtains of the land of Midian are trembling. Mm. Where's Midian? Yeah, it's where Sinai is, Saudi Arabia. The people, the inhabitants of Mount, uh, around the area of Mount Sinai, of Midian, they are trembling. Why? Because the radiant one is marching forward. Now, here's the irony, or here's what's interesting, is that scholars and commentators admit that this is talking about the return of Jesus. They admit that this one is talking about the return of Yeshua. However, They refuse to acknowledge that Deuteronomy 33, Judges 5, 
or any of the others are talking about the return of Yeshua, even though this is using all of the same language, all of the same imagery. Hmm. Um, it's just, for some reason, there's just a disconnect. And it goes on. Here's one of my favorite beautiful passages. It goes on, as I said, I have a whole chapter where I discuss the possibility that he actually comes back to Egypt. Um, behold, Isaiah 19, behold, the Lord comes on a swift cloud. He is coming to Egypt, all right? So again, Yehovah okay. coming on a swift cloud to Egypt. But here is one of the verses that suggests that he may very well actually split the Red Sea again. So it's in the context of his return. Verse eight says, did Yehovah rage against the rivers or was your anger against the rivers or your wrath against the sea? You rode on horses on your chariots of salvation. Your bow was made bare. The rod of chastisement was, uh, were sworn. You cleaved the earth with rivers. The mountains quaked. Verse 12, here it is. In indignation, you marched through the earth. In anger, you trampled the nations. Similar language to Isaiah 63. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And here it is. You struck the head of the house of the wicked to lay him open from thigh to neck. You pierced him with his own spear, the head of his throngs. Mm. So Yeshua, again, the crushing one, Genesis 3.15, the skull crusher, when he returns, will crush the head of the house of the wicked. It's referring to the Antichrist. Mm. Habakkuk was referring to the Antichrist. And then I'll just end by saying this that the song or the prayer of Habakkuk is written like a song. It's written liturgically. And scholars argue that the exiles of Babylon, when they were in Babylon, would have gathered beside the rivers of Babylon. Think maybe Ezekiel, maybe Daniel. And they would have sung the song, the prayer of Habakkuk together. Here they were, all hope was lost. They were now exiles in Babylon. And they took courage, they encourage themselves by saying, yea, even though the fig, tea, the fig tree withers, everything looks hopeless, nevertheless, our hope is that the day is coming when he's coming back to save us. And indeed, all of his promises are yes and amen. And we, though we have to wait a long time, it is indeed coming. And it seems uh, that this does mirror Exodus. You know, a lot of these things, it gives us hope because why why wouldn't it happen this way? Because it's already happened before. What happened before will happen again. Yeah. And it just uh, gives us hope. And uh, I just, like you said, it's very exciting to see this because it's almost like a repeat of, of Exodus, almost in reverse. It's almost like the, the sequel to Exodus yeah. and the true uh, culmination of what was patterned there when Yeshua returns. Okay, yeah. well, we're not done yet. We've got another half coming up. So uh, if you're enjoying what Joel Richardson is sharing, uh, Thank yourself, because you made it possible. Thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. It's the only way that we can have this program. It's the only way we can bring Joel in. It's the only way that you can see it. So we want to thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. And uh, we just ask that you would uh, continue to support it, to support this program. And thank you for standing with us. And we'll give you a couple minutes here to uh, do that. And we'll be right back. And thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. And if you'd like to support Joel Richardson, who we have here today, well, Joel, uh, all of what you are presenting today is from your new book, called Sinai to Zion. And there are a couple of ways to get that. Uh, and there's always uh, different ways that your ministry can, can get more out of that. And I'm assuming there's some better ways to do that. So what's the best way for people to get your book and put the most money into your, uh, into your ministry? So um, I, the book itself, the hardcover, is available through my website, through the store, uh, which is joelstrumpet.com. Okay. Um, but I always like to let people know I actually give all my materials away for free. So as PDF files, if you can't afford the book, that's okay. It is for free on my website under free resources, Sinai to Zion. But if you're a book guy like me, uh, it's to the store. And the, um, the Kindle version is on Amazon. That's, okay. Of course, we have to put that on Amazon. And I'm, um, by the time that this airs, I may have it ready but we are working on an audio version uh, as well. And we've already got a few tr different foreign translations in the works. Oh, wonderful. Okay, now this is, what I said is true, right? Everything we're talking about here is in that book. That's right. So what we're talking about right now is the, the highway in the desert. Yeah. So that's in the book. So if you want more detail on the highway in the desert, more than what we're talking about here today, you can get it there. And uh, so we're, we're traveling through the desert and we've are, discovered some amazing things. Uh, we left on Habakkuk 3. Uh, now, Psalm 68, there's more about this uh, there. Mm -hmm. So what do we find in Psalm 68? Yeah, so let me, let me say this, because this is actually pretty fascinating. 
is I mentioned that these are all part of what I call the desert prophecies. There's quite a few of them throughout the Old Testament. The first one is, again, Deuteronomy 33, Judges 5, Habakkuk 3, and Psalm 68. Uh, I mentioned this earlier. Deuteronomy 33 is this very archaic, sort of Akkadian form of Hebrew. So if you're just reading the original Hebrew, it would be like you're reading modern English, you mm-hmm. know, the NIV, and all of a sudden you come to King James, okay? So Deuteronomy 33 is strange. It, you know, it's all part of Moses, but it's in an, a more ancient form. And scholars are baffled by this, um, and it has resulted in some difficulties with translation. Well, likewise, Psalm 68 is the most difficult of all of the Psalms. Huh. It has okay. the most interpretive challenges. It has the most translational challenges. It's a, it is unarguably the most difficult. And it drives scholars crazy because they don't know what to do with it. Parts of it, they say, parts of it are talking about the Exodus. And they go, other parts are talking about the return of Jesus. And other parts, we're not even sure what to do with. And it drives them crazy. But here's the thing, because they don't have the key. They haven't inserted the key, which is to say the entire thing is about the return of Jesus. Because just like all of these other prophecies, it uses the Exodus as the pattern, as the prototype, as the, sh- the foreshadow of the ultimate Exodus, which the return of Jesus is. The return of Yeshua is the ultimate Exodus. And so it starts out, I love everything about the psalm. Obviously, we can't go through the whole thing. But it starts out with one of my, I keep saying my favorite verse in the Bible, but it is. <laughs> and it's, it's powerful let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee from before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. So when it says, let God arise, you have this statement pretty frequently throughout the Old Testament. The inference is this, God is sitting on his throne. He's sitting on his throne in heaven and it's an intercessory cry saying, get up off of your throne and come down and save us. I mean, it's an appeal, it's not a demand, but it's saying, let God arise. And so what we, what we need to recognize is that from the very first verse, the idea of God arising has return of Yeshua connotations, okay? And I always love to point this out because it's fun. I was raised, now look, in the uh, Hebrew roots or in the Messianic movement, um, Believers who often were part of freewheeling Protestant USA, you know, uh, type of culture, who had no connection to anything liturgical, they often become acquainted with a more liturgical form of worship. You know, the um, the sedur in the traditional synagogues and some of the messianic synagogues, and they begin to learn a little bit more of a liturgical form. Well, I was raised nominally Catholic until I was about eleven. Um, I got saved when I was about nineteen. I never really connected with the rote Roman Catholic liturgy, you know. Um, and I might offend some people, but it even kind of, to me, always felt a little bit effeminate, you know. It was kind of, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, you know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of, and then you, you stand, you rise, sit down, and, you know, you kind of parrot different things. Well, I actually, despite that, I have a deep affinity for Eastern Orthodox very different than Roman Catholics, like these deep-throated Russian guys with beards, these monks living out in the woods, just fasting and praying with dreadlocks. And this is like one of their favorite psalms. Whenever you Mm. hear Eastern Orthodox psalms, it's this deep-throated, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, you know, as wax melts before the fire. And, um, And oftentimes, in my own personal life, sometimes when I'm wrestling with anxiety, I'll actually put on Eastern Orthodox chant. You know, just as kind of, but because they're just chanting the scriptures. And this is one of their favorites, okay? Mm. So it starts out with this intercessory cry. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them melt like wax, okay? So you begin with that theme. Well, as you proceed forward, it says, let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God and let them rejoice with gladness. Here it is. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. Mm. So there it is, the cloud rider. Some translations will say to him who rides through the deserts. Really? Okay, so the cloud rider, which ultimately it doesn't matter whether it's the cloud rider or the desert marcher, either motif or theme is referring to the return of Jesus. It goes on, 
And it says, O Lord, when you went forth before your people. Again, let's let's put this in proper um, context. O Lord, when you will go forth before your people, when you march through the desert, when you march through the wilderness, the earth will quake, the heavens will drip rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself will quake at the presence of God, at the presence of the God of Israel. That's actually reflecting Judges 5. So here's the thing. When Moses was in the desert during the Exodus, whenever the cloud, whenever the pillar would lift and go forward, they would pack up their tents. Of course, the Ark of the Covenant was designed to be carried by the priests. They would put the rods and the rings on the side. They would pick it up and they would start carrying it. And whenever they did that, Moses would say, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. So that's what he would say before they moved forward. This psalm written by David, okay, within the biblical narrative, now you skip forward, Israel is in the land. They've now entered the promised land years later. And the ark is down at the house of Obed-Edom. They started, David said, let's move it up to Jerusalem. And in the process, the oxen kind of stumbled, the ark tipped, one of the guys touched it and he died. And David goes, let's just leave it here, you know, at the house of Obed-Edom. Well, after a while, he goes, no, no, no. The Lord, his home is on Zion. We need to bring the presence, the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. We need to bring it home to Zion. So he had essentially a parade, a celebration, a procession. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom, which is only a few miles up to Zion. And this is the story where David is in his kind of undergarment, so to speak, and he's dancing wildly, celebrating before the Lord. And Michael looks out the window and she's judging him for being such a charismatic. She's like, oh, David joined the charismatic church, right? (laughs) She didn't like that. But here's the thing is David was essentially doing a prophetic recreation as the ark represents the presence of the Lord. And this, this prophetic psalm is singing about the procession of the Messiah as he makes his way up to Zion. And so the pilgrims, during the holy days, the holy festivals, as they were making pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, they often would recreate this procession. Mm. It was kind of a holy parade, you know, again, a, a rehearsal. And, they, and in the same way that David did that, and they would sing Psalm 68, and I believe they would sing the Psalms of Ascent as they made pilgrimage up. And the Psalms of Ascent, by the way, are incredibly prophetic of this desert procession. And so this Psalm is looking back to the Exodus. It's using the same language as Moses did. When they lifted the ark, David said the same thing, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. And it was, again, a prophetic foreshadow. And when you work through the psalm, it describes, in, again, just like Habakkuk 3, in beautiful detail, the, the, the glorious procession of the Messiah. Mm. Wow. That is amazing. So he's, is there any reference after this now that, that leads to where uh, Yeshua is, so he enters into Jerusalem, uh, then what? Where, where do we see what happens at that point? So, I mean, again, as he makes his way up, I believe that this is when the Antichrist and his armies are finally defeated. Someplace okay. just outside of Jerusalem or in Jerusalem itself, Jesus enters Jerusalem as a liberator. Okay, his first triumphal procession when he came in on a donkey, was a prophetic foreshadow of his ultimate triumphal procession when he comes in on a white horse with his armies. And he is a liberator. He's a liberator of Jerusalem. He delivers Jerusalem and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the occupying forces of the Antichrist. He kills the Antichrist. He kills the false prophet. They are cast into the lake of fire. He kills their armies. Now, he's killing many of them along the way because he's soaked in blood. Right, And then, you know, so you've got that. You've got, um, again, the uh, probably a series of events that lead to his reestablishment on the throne of his father, David, and ultimately the marriage supper of the Lamb. But in verse 24 here, um, it, it, it kind of captures, encapsulates the pinnacle of the whole psalm. Oh, okay. Go ahead. We have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. Now, here's what's fun is we've had a lot of gore, a lot of blood in the midst of this. Well, maybe you like war movies. Maybe you like um, the gore, right? But then there's something for everyone. 
because it's a musical. The singers went on before him, the musicians after them. In the midst, the maidens beating tambourines. Bless God in the congregations, even the Lord, you who are of the fountain of Israel. And so you've got for the worship leaders out there, the the singers are going before the procession, the maidens playing their tambourines, the hippies in the back, you know, because the the patchouli in the back is too strong, so they put them back there. You've got the hippies in the back with the tambourines, and there's just, I mean, again, the picture of plagues, Habakkuk 3, and pestilence being poured out, the enemies being slaughtered, they're singing, and everywhere throughout the prophets, one of the defining characteristics is those who were former prisoners are now breaking forth and singing. Mm. And we will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown our heads. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. And it says, oh, I love this verse. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Everlasting joy. You know, in this age, there's a lot to be discouraged about. There's a lot to be depressed about. And sometimes it overwhelms us, it overtakes us. The day is coming when gladness and joy and rejoicing and singing will overtake us as we enter Jerusalem, no longer singing about Jesus, but singing with Jesus, with Yeshua, as he is leading us to, again, be enthroned as the king on Mount Zion. So again, there's just so much throughout the prophets, and we miss it, and and these are... These are anchor points that we can use to get through the dark days ahead. And we're going to need these. Mm, So I I love, I just, I love it. It makes me excited. Well, I I thank you for explaining that whole story because I think now I have a greater appreciation for how this goes. You've tied it together. It makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, And just for bringing out all of those, um, uh, the, the roadmap as it were to how Yeshua comes, where he's coming, and the fact that he comes into Jerusalem after being somewhere else, mm-hmm. well, that just makes a whole lot more sense. Sure. Now, speaking of coming into Jerusalem, we're gonna get into more in, this, uh, in, the, in the app, by the way, yep. uh, because we're gonna go back to, to uh, Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. to where Sinai is. We're gonna talk about Neom, Mm-hmm. The mega city that's going to be built there, uh, Mystery Babylon. We're going to be talking about Edom, uh, Mecca, Revelation 18. We're going to get all kinds of things. So if you like what you're seeing here, get the the bonus episode on the app because that's where we're headed next. But for, speaking of going through the desert, I just want to talk about your uh, your tour for a second. Oh. Uh, when you go for your tours, um, where are you going to go next? Uh, what's what's the future of that? So, I mean, you know, assuming that uh, the whole COVID thing eventually goes away, which I trust it will, and, you know, there's not all kinds of mandatory vaccines and these type of things, my plan right now is to go at least twice a year. Okay. At least twice a year. We have a couple different things. One is actually uh, a cruise that actually goes down through Cairo, through the Suez Canal, around the Sinai Peninsula. So we hit all the stops in Egypt, then we go to Saudi Arabia, we debark and go to Mount Sinai, and then we actually go up to Jordan, and we go up to Petra, and we fly out of Amman. So it's essentially an Exodus Mm. tour. Oh, wow. That's a lot of fun. We got this small little cruise boat. Um, But also we'll just kind of do a a traditional tour just to Saudi Arabia, just to Mount Sinai. Uh, Last time we had about 25 people, and I believe this thing is to see, I, I had people come, uh, on the last tour, and they said, Joel, we'll be honest with you, we didn't think this was really Mount Sinai. We just wanted to get into Saudi Arabia. We love Muslims. We wanted to meet. And they said, then they got there and they go, this is really Mount Sinai. Like, we're convinced. And we were big fans of the other one because we've been to the other one. They're like, this is really it. And I'm like, I, I'm telling you, seeing is believing. And so to see the awe on people's faces when they see it for the first time, it's, mm. it's, a, it's a joy to be part of. Yeah, that, that's I love that. I love you know Kevin Fisher, who was here not too long ago. He said that uh, to go to Saudi Arabia, his first time was more exciting to him than going to Israel. He just he knew because he knew Mount Sinai. He just yeah. knew it was there, and to see it was just uh, amazing to him. Mm-hmm. I know you. He meant you mentioned something though to me that uh, he did not mention, and that was when you went into the area. Uh, you described the scent, a unique scent of Mount Sinai. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so we were there in October last year, so, you know, coming into the fall. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to look at pictures. It's another thing to go there. And the only thing I can say is the plants. I mean, these little scrub plants mm. that you don't even hardly notice when you're there. Little flowers on them and so forth. The herbs, the fragrances of these things were 
overwhelming. And mm. some of them were fragrances that I, we would all stand around and we'd be like, what is that smell? Is this like rosemary? No, it's, you know, there was hyssop, there was fresh fig trees, there were, mm. um, you know, of course, olives and different biblical, and it was just, that's something that you that pictures just don't quite capture. And I found myself grabbing, you know, little pieces of herbs and putting them in baggies to bring home just so I could smell <laughs> the smells. And it was almost overwhelming. I mean, it was just really majestic. I don't know how else to say it. Wow. Were there any fresh dates there? Um, there are dates, of course, but not yeah. wild. Not okay. just not so many nice. wild dates. Um, although, no, I guess there were. There are some date palms. But again, wild dates versus cultivated dates are two totally different animals. Yeah, I know that when you're trying to describe, you know, usually people see dates in the store. They're all dried and everything. And you try to describe fresh dates, which I've had once in Arizona. I was at a raw food festival once in Arizona. Nature's caramel. It is, oh, isn't it? it it's, it's really, that's a good word for it. Nature's caramel. It's just a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, and so for, for, for God to bring the, it makes sense too. God, where is he going to bring the Israelites to something that's just going to be comforting, smell delicious, they're going to be okay being there. <laughs> you know. I'll tell you, the, uh, the hotels when you're in Saudi Arabia, if you're on the keto diet, just if you're going on the tour, forget about it, just drop it, because <laughs> their food is absolutely delicious, and they get a lot of great f- fruits and dates and sweets and desserts oh. and pies, and it's just, yeah. Well, this sounds like a good time to go to, uh, to Saudi Arabia, and I really hope that you're able to do this twice a year, as you said. Now, I'm assuming that uh, details of such things you would have on your regular website. On my website, joelstrumpet.com. Now, and more importantly, right now, something people can do, again, is get this book. Uh, this book, Sinai Design, uh, it's recently published. You got it on your website. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's Sinai Design. Uh, it's just by joelstrumpet.com, right? joelstrumpet.com, yeah. And when you get it, again, on my website, which is probably the only place you can get it, I do sign every book. Oh, really? Excellent, okay. You can get an extra 50 cents for it on eBay. Okay. <laughs> and those who prefer Kindle, of course, you can get that on Amazon. Amazon, yep. And you said that... Uh, I'm working on the audiobook, which should I, be audio audiobook as well? Yep. I like awesome. audiobooks. I like doing that while I'm on my walks and things. Okay. Yep. Joel, thank you for being on Shabbat Night Live. I really appreciate it. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, so stay with us because you were going to have uh, an app bonus... But that's going to be something exclusively on the app because we're going to get into some things that maybe we you know, can't quite get into here on Shabbat Night Live. Uh, so again, thank you very much for being here. We really appreciate it. It's great being with you. All right, well, thank you for being with us on Shabbat Night Live and for blessing me and for blessing Joel and for blessing everyone here at Shabbat Night Live. We thank you so much for your prayers, so much for your support. And uh, we just really appreciate everything that you do for us and I hope that this gives back a little bit to you. So we wish you Shavua Tov and Shabbat Shalom. Until next time, we'll see you then. <laughs>